So over the last couple of weeks, uh, like many of your families in uh, quarantine, we've been watching movies in the evening. You can't go anywhere. And so uh, we've been um, uh, enjoying uh, taking in some films. And recently we watched a couple of movies uh, by one of these directors that we really appreciate. His name is Taika Waititi. And uh, we saw these two films that he put together recently, one called um, uh, Jojo Rabbit and another one called Hunt for the Wilder People. And he does this interesting thing in both of those films where he writes himself in as the director. And uh, that's not unique uh, to him. Other directors have, have done this. Uh, but by writing himself into his work, he's able to interact with his creation. And the creation would not know their creator otherwise if the creator had not written, him, written himself in. And so God, the creator, has written clues of his existence in both nature and in the human heart. Whether you explore the natural world in a macro sense or a micro sense, what you're going to find is your scientific, scientific inquiry is going to reveal um, mind-boggling precision and design and purpose. And even if we move from conversations that are scientific to conversations that are psychological, all of us have this desire, this deep desire and craving for love and meaning, a sense of identity and uh, belonging, um, a sense of purpose. When you think about uh, death, and there's constant conversations in our world today around death, our, the governments of the world are projecting numbers concerning death. And it's never maybe been so much in our face as uh, as modern North Americans as it is right now. But none of none of us, regardless of our worldview, Christian or otherwise, relate to death like it's fine and it's just a normal part of the circle of life. Nobody has that attitude toward it. Everybody rages against death. Everybody um, has a has a sense of injustice about death. They're disquieted and disturbed by death. And this is because. God has revealed himself to our hearts by putting, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, by putting eternity in our hearts. Um, the great writer and apologist C.S. Lewis said, if, if nothing in this life can satisfy me, then it stands to reason that I was created for something more than this life. So through reason, we can observe the overwhelming evidences and reasons that, that support the existence of God. But reason alone is not enough to know God. And so God the creator can only be known if he writes himself in to the redemptive narrative and reveals himself to his creation. And on Easter Sunday, this is what we celebrate. We celebrate that the divine director of the cosmos has written himself in. And because he has done this, we can turn to him. We can find rest in him. See, on Easter Sunday... We are reminded that our God is not abstract. Our faith is not abstract. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know how God feels about you, you look at the cross. If you want to know where your life is headed, you look at the empty tomb. Our text for this morning is Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read the first 15 verses starting in verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said amongst themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. 
And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he has said to you. So they went out quickly and they fled from the tomb, for they trembled and they were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and she told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they had heard that he was alive and that he had been seen by her, they did not believe. And after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And he went and they went and they told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. And later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This is God's word. Now, our faith in Jesus Christ has many benefits that are experienced. Hope and peace, these sorts of things that we can experience. And yet Christian faith is not founded on experience. Here in the midst of this global pandemic, which holds itself up like an uncomfortably honest mirror, revealing the fragility of humanity, any faith, any worldview that is based on experience and ideas is utterly useless in the end. It's completely useless in the end. We on this Resurrection Sunday, when we look at the foundation of our faith, when we look at the hinge on which all of our belief swings, it's not an experience, it's not an imaginative theology. We fix our eyes on how our God irreversibly stamped his grace into human history. In 33 AD, under Pontius Pilate, Jesus Christ was crucified, and three days later, his tomb was found empty. And at a time when the world is hiding in our homes under the threat of spreading death, is there any more relevant text than the promise that there is no finality in death? Now, granted, uh, the resurrection from death, it's a lot to grasp. And even if you've been in church your whole life for decades, and you've been celebrating Easter Sunday for decades, the resurrection is still hard to grasp. It's a lot to grasp. And so what I want us to do this Easter Sunday, as we do every Easter Sunday, is unbox the goodness of this grace and look at two things. Why is the resurrection reasonable to believe? And how does it liberate you and I who believe? First, why is it reasonable to believe? It's reasonable to believe because it's not a theological claim. It's a historical claim. It's rooted in a historical reality. When you're reading something, you have to ask yourself the question, what am I reading? Who's, Who's the source? Where am I getting this information? Right? If next week somebody came to you and they said, hey, I read that um, a cure has been found for the coronavirus. Your first question ought to be, where did you read that? Right? If they tell you that the, that the World Health Organization has put things out in medical journals and there's a cure for the coronavirus, then we all ought to take note of that. But if they tell you they read it on Tumblr, 
Maybe. Give that a second thought. So as we're thinking about the resurrection and why we believe this, that this is the core of what we believe, we have to ask ourselves the question, what am I reading? And the answer to that, historical literary critics like Richard Bachman will tell you that you're not reading fiction and you're not reading poetry. You're reading a careful historical account. If you look at this text that we just read, you're going to notice that it's loaded with names. right? If you read all four gospel um, accounts and you put them side by side, <clears throat> the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, you're going to find names. Pontius Pilate, the historical uh, Roman emperor who was uh, authority at the time of uh, Jesus, convict, uh, the one who convicted Jesus, a centurion who was present, Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man whose tomb Jesus' body was laid after he was crucified. These three women, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Salome, who went to uh, anoint the body. Every time there's lists of names in ancient literature, a historian will tell you those are ancient footnotes. That's what that genre looked like of writing at that time. We're, we're, we're not dealing with a legend. We're dealing with uh, an account of careful history, recording to be sure that uh, you can fact check in terms of those who were um, present at the time. Another thing to consider is that Christian faith, it exploded in the first century. But when you think about what the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews actually believed, it would, it, you, what you would expect is that the resurrection story would have been laughed out of Rome. But it wasn't laughed out of Rome. It actually exploded and spread through Rome. The Greeks and the Romans had a view of the afterlife and their view was you're supposed to escape this material because it's bad and you're supposed to become spiritual and ethereal because that's good. Their whole goal was to escape the natural. The resurrection of Jesus is totally backwards because the resurrected Christ comes back very much in bodily form in the natural. The Jews believed that the Messiah was a political deliverer. He was going to deliver political Jerusalem, political Israel, uh, they did not believe that he was divine. And so if you were concocting a story, if the gospel writers were concocting a story to say, we're just going to create this fictitious, fictitious story about a man who raised from the dead, this carpenter from some backwater town that nobody's ever heard of, and we're going to write this story in the hopes that a, a small little band of people will stick it to Rome and believe it, nobody would believe this. In the text that we just read, you read that we read that the disciples were hiding for their lives, and the Greeks and the Romans were... were an honor-shame culture, and they were not in the business of following cowards. They were looking for leaders who were full of glory and valor and, and courage. And so no self-respecting Roman, no self-respecting Greek would ever follow this narrative about a resurrected Jesus. No self-respecting Jew would ever follow this resurrected Jesus. And yet they did by the thousands. The early, uh, the early church, that first uh, century church, exploded through Rome as people believed this historical account of the resurrection. The other thing that's important to note, and we often talk about this when we ask why should we believe this, um, is again, who were these eyewitnesses? There is a, uh, a, uh, an investigative journalist specialized in criminology, graduate from Yale University. His name is Lee Strobel. He wrote a book called Case for Christ, and he used his um, skills in investigative journalism to explore the eyewitness accounts to say, do these things add up? Should we believe these things? And what you find is that the first eyewitnesses were women. And of course, in the ancient world, in the Babylonian Talmud, it said it was better to have the words of the law burnt than to be given into the hands of a woman because they discredited women. In the second century, Celsius, looking back uh, on um, the resurrection story, 
uh, the philosopher Celsus said, well, we can't believe this because women are hysterical. So women were the eyewitnesses. And yet all four gospel writers at a time in a patriarchal culture where women were absolutely discredited, all four say, no, this is the story. We're sticking to it. It was women who were the first evangelists, who were the first witnesses of Christ, and they write it down. And the significance of that, of course, is because if on Easter Sunday, the church was celebrating fairy tales, this is not how you write a fairy tale that gets any traction. Any uh, historian who applies literary criticism to these ancient texts is going to say, this is a marvel in the ancient world, that the news of Jesus Christ wasn't just spread by this small little group of like-minded individuals that wanted to propagate a story, but it spanned cultures, it spanned people groups, it spanned socioeconomic groups, it exploded in the first century. Because our faith is not hinging on a theory. Our faith is rooted, irreversibly stamped into human history. And this is why we can believe this on this Easter Sunday in the midst of a global pandemic and have great confidence in the things that we say uh, are the promises of our gospel and believe them to be true. I want you to think about something else. Um, Three times in the book of Mark, before we get to this point, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. You can read it in chapter eight, you can read it in chapter nine, you can read it in chapter 10. And And not one of the disciples said, hey, wait a second, didn't Jesus mention a third day thing? It's been three days, why don't we go check the tomb? Couldn't hurt nobody's expecting it. They're all hiding. They're like, it's game over. Dr. Samuel Lamerson is the, uh, is the New Testament uh, professor of uh, theology at uh, Knox Seminary, where I had the privilege of attending. And he was giving a lecture, and he was talking about how there were about 11 messiahs that were failed, failed deliverers of Israel. And they, they all died, and when they died, the movement died with them. And then Jesus Christ, who everybody thinks at the cross is another failed messiah, Um, When he dies, the movement doesn't die with him. It actually explodes with him. Of course, this is because of the truth of his his, uh, resurrection. And so these gospel writers, this text that we just read this morning in Mark, it's not being written in some fictitious way in the hopes that a patriarchal culture is just going to ignore millennia of discrediting women and suddenly magically believe the eye testimony of women because it's a fictitious story. This is human history. And so we can have great confidence in the truth of uh, this resurrection narrative. And we can see what it did in those first century disciples and we can be encouraged on what it'll do in us. The same disciples who hid for fear of death were willing to give their lives even unto death. Mm -hmm. They eventually faced death. There was transformative power in the confidence that the resurrection brought in the lives of the disciples, enabling them to just live with an outward-facing, loving life because they were convinced through the resurrection that this life just simply was not all that there is. Let's move on to the second thing now. And let's celebrate this morning for the rest of our time together on asking ourselves the question, how does this gospel liberate us? It's reasonable to believe. How does it liberate The guilt of our sin is gone. We are reconciled to God. Because of Jesus Christ and because he defeated death, our lives are not slowly moving toward an inevitable end, but they are moving toward inevitable restoration and the realization of the deepest longings in the human soul. Just like a criminal walks out of prison after they have 
paid the price for their crime. Jesus Christ walked out of that empty tomb after paying the price for our crime, after paying the price for our sin. The resurrection means that this world that we wish we had, but we don't, and the wholeness in spirit and soul and body that we wish we had, but we don't, is coming. The resurrection means the absolute wholeness and well-being physically, spiritually, and socially, and judicially. It inspires joy and and generosity and a quietness in our soul because these things are true. You know, what does this resurrection mean? Because we can't grasp eternity. Because eternity is so vast, we can hardly wrap our minds around it. And we're thinking, what am I going to do on Monday? What will happen in the world on Monday? Will I have a job on Monday? Will I be healthy on Monday? Is there any, any certainty in Monday? I got bills to pay and mouths to feed. Right? There ain't nothing in this world for free. What am I going to do on Monday? And the resurrection speaks specifically to Monday. It infuses us with joy and confidence and quietness in our soul on Monday. Because, ironically... The world is scrambling for a cure. And I hope that we find a cure. I pray that we find a cure. And when we find that cure, it will be a temporary cure. It will push off the inevitable. The resurrection is not a temporary cure. The resurrection speaks to an eternal cure. The resurrection speaks to not pushing back the inevitable. The resurrection speaks to the eradication of the inevitable, that death is no longer final. And ironically, if you deny the resurrection, you will spend your life clamoring to obtain the very things that are promised in the resurrection. Only they're cheap knockoffs. The resurrection promises life and vitality and peace and joy without horizon forever. And we will clamor after all of those things, but they'll be cheap knockoffs that are just simply temporary and not lasting. The resurrection promises a unity and a community and a, and a world where, where socially there is no paradox, the love without the hate, the joy without the oppression. The resurrection promises these things, but instead, if we deny the resurrection, the soul still deeply longs for those things, only it's like the cheap knockoffs on Canal Street in New York. Oh, hey, do you like my new Schmaritas that I just got? These are fantastic. And check out my Roach purse. And how do you like my Lolex? That's, it's all cheap knockoffs. You're gonna, you can deny the resurrection, but your soul is still clamoring after the very things that are promised in Christ's resurrection. <clears throat> and so, all of these things, uh, we realize when we look at the resurrected Jesus and we see that he's not a phantasm, we see that it's really him. And in the same way that it's really him, the resurrection means that it's really going to be you. It's really going to be me. Think of the miracles that Jesus did throughout his life and think of the miracle of the resurrection. What were all of the miracles pointing to? They were like teaser trailers. Every time Jesus did a miracle, it was a teaser trailer of the life that was to come. When John the Baptist asked Jesus if he was the Messiah, Jesus said, the blind receive sight, 
the lame walk, the leper is cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the, to the, to the poor. That was his answer. And I'm going to borrow from Kim Riddlebarger, who's a professor, professor at Westminster Seminary. And he says this, when you think about what Jesus healed, he wasn't healing male pattern baldness and filling cavities. He Think of the miracles that he did. He was restoring sight to the blind. Why? Because this miracle shows us that our eyes can be opened to see God's grace. He opened the ears of the deaf. Why? This is a miracle that calls us to see that we can open our ears to hear the gospel. The lame were made to walk. Why? This is a miracle that shows us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to follow after God, to follow after Jesus. Why does Jesus heal over and over and over diseases that everybody considered made you unclean? Because they're all pointing to this redemption. They are all pointing to this empty tomb. They're all pointing to Easter Sunday, which is that he takes away our sin and he makes us all clean. The miracles were not only proof of the deity of Jesus, but they were all signs that pointed to what would happen through the resurrection of Jesus and be restored in the eventual return of Jesus. And so our gospel promise, church, is not hang on until heaven and then you'll have joy. Wait until this global pandemic is over and then we can all get back to normal and then you can have peace and joy. No, the gospel promise provides joy now. The gospel is not simply our entrance into Christian faith. It is the very power that we walk out our faith. It is the very power that reorients us in our faith. This global pandemic is like a black cloth that has shrouded the globe on which the brilliance of the gospel shines. And if there was no resurrection, if Easter Sunday was not true, if this was not historically rooted and staked in human history, if this was all just a fictitious story, then these aging bodies of ours are the only ones we get. And this plagued world of ours is the only one that we get. And that would be a bloody shame after all of our impressive scientific achievements that one small microbe can still wipe us all out. And for all of our intellectual and social and geopolitical advancements, we're all going to go Mad Max at Costco if it comes between us or our neighbor. And if, if this is really all that there is, after all of our self-congratulating about for decades and centuries and millennia, how much we've evolved as a species, many of us are still at a moment's notice, just willing to risk the lives of our neighbors, the vulnerable and the poor, to just go out and buy a trinket to scratch our first world boredom itch. If the resurrection is not true, this is all that we have. This is the world that we're in. But if the resurrection is true, and it is, then of course this life is not all that there is. Then of course these aging bodies of ours are not the only ones that we get. And this paradoxical world filled with both beauty and horror is not on a trajectory of eventual and inevitable decay, but it is on a trajectory of eventual and inevitable renewal. And so this resurrection, this gospel, it's not a mental crutch for Christians it's not wishful thinking that gets us through the tough spot, that gets us through the global pandemic. No, to borrow from uh, J.R. Tolkien, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not simply one more great story 
pointing us to some underlying reality. Rather, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the underlying reality to which all restoration narratives point. And so all of this good news of that reality, it has the power to lift our souls from the depths of sorrow. And if you know that this temporary fragile life is not the only one that you're ever going to have, how do you relate to that on Monday? Mm-hmm. You're free to love and serve and give your life away boldly. Now today, what does that look like? We're quarantined. That looks like texting and reaching out and using Zoom like this and loving and one another and praying for one another and thinking about those that are here in this Redeemer family and, and reaching out in, in care and love and prayer. It looks like thinking about the vulnerable in our city and exploring ways that we can care for them. Maybe you have elderly neighbors who probably shouldn't be going and getting groceries and perhaps we can serve them in that way or these small ways that we can serve and love our communities. After the resurrection, when Jesus showed his disciples his hands and his feet, he showed them his scars. And the last time that the disciples saw Jesus, it was on the cross. And they thought that those scars were ruining their lives. But in the end, those scars were a sign that gave them the boldness to give away their lives. So may the scandalous generosity and love and boldness and sacrifice that the Holy Spirit formed in that early church be formed right here in this church. Mm -hmm. If you believe the gospel, though hardships will find you, nothing in this world can crush you Mm -hmm. because you are loved with a love so strong Death itself will not hold you. And so to borrow from C.S. Lewis, some say of this temporal suffering, no future bliss can ever make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. The resurrection is your assurance that in the end, joy will come from all of your tears. Mm -hmm. Strength will come from all of your weakness. Rescue will come from all of your abandonment. Healing will come from all of your pain and life is going to come from your death. Time is no longer your enemy, slowly stripping away everything. Time is now God's ally and he will restore everything and he'll raise us to enjoy everything. The resurrection was just as inconceivable the day that it happened as it is today. And it was just as hard for everyone to grasp the day that it happened as it is for us to grasp today. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that day will quicken your heart and your mind to believe it this day. Mm -hmm. Amen. Let's pray.